Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Revelation 16. We're actually going to be in the second half. We only covered 11 verses uh, last time. So we're going to be in verses 12 through 21. And the message is titled, The Bold Judgments. And today we're going to look at part two of the bold judgments. And, you know, sometimes we read the Bible as Christians, and I have to say this, that this, it's not just, to, I was having this discussion with my son recently. It isn't just filling our head with Bible knowledge. It's also when we talk about prophecy, when we talk about things that are going to happen. You know, we can't have this kind of cognitive dissonance where we, we live our lives in 2020 and we don't see all the signs that are taking place that the Bible speaks about. Uh, it's very interesting in the political climate, and I try to, you know, parse both sides, but... If you look at both political parties, there's a big push, both parties, one more than the other, there's a big push to get us into this authoritarian globalist movement. And when we watch the news and we read the Bible, we, we have to make the connection because as every year passes, obviously we're getting closer to the Lord's return. Unfortunately, some very difficult things are going to happen in the world before that. So when I speak about the earth's future, I don't speak about our future. If you're in Christ, these things don't happen to you. Because I believe that the Lord, the Harpazo, or the rapture takes place before this seven-year period of tribul tribulation. So we're going to look at this in two parts. We're going to look at the sixth and the seventh bowl judgment, which is the last part of the bowl judgments. And it's the last part of really all 21 judgments. So this is pretty fascinating. We had the seals. Uh, we had the trumpets, and now we're just finishing up with the ball ju uh, judgment. So let's jump in and see what the Lord has for us. So Revelation 16, starting with verse 12, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl, or his flask, or his vial, V-I-A-L, right, on the great river Euphrates, which has been around since the beginning of creation. As a matter of fact, in Genesis, the, Euph the Tigris and the Euphrates are mentioned. Uh, and its water was dried up so that the ways of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, this unholy, ungodly, demonic trinity that we've been talking about, who that is um, working in in the culture, on, on the world, right? Because the earth is heading into this declension, okay? Before the Lord returns, and then everything is going to be so awesome. So, but they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. In verse 15, Jesus Speaks, He says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked, spiritually, and they see his shame. We're going to cover that. And they gather them together to the place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. So the first part 
is the sixth bowl judgment. If we could put up the map of the Middle East and the Euphrates, and we're going to keep that up, and we're going to have a discussion about that. So you look at the sixth bowl judgment, facilitating the armies to gather together in the Battle of Armageddon. And, you know, you, you can watch TV, and there's movies that talk about this. There's, you can hear stuff on the History Channel. People opine in different ways about this battle. But the Bible is going to give us great detail on this battle. We're going to check this out. Now, in, verse, or in chapter 9, Revelation 9, remember that the four demons of the Euphrates were released. Remember we talked about good angels, guardian angels, the angel of the waters, right? Angels are territorial. But the bad ones, the demonic realm, is also territorial. We saw that in the prophet Daniel. In Greece and Rome and, and, and Persia, there were demonic entities that were holding on to these geographical locations, manipulating the leaders. So in Revelation 9, we saw the four demons released of the Euphrates. Now we're speaking or we're looking at the armies. And the armies, the leaders, are controlled by these demonic forces. And we'll talk about that. In the next few chapters, we're going to see the significance of Babylon, which sits in the area of the Tigris and Euphrates, also known as Iraq. And I've showed pictures of the soldiers, when they went into Baghdad and they went into Iraq, they took all these pictures. Like, even the soldiers were blown away. The walls of Babylon were still there. So the Bible, everything the Bible says is true. We just catch up with it. Science, his, history, etc. So it says the kings of the east are prepared. It's a small phrase, but it has tremendous significance. Now, <laughs> folks, this is where we have to, if we have any cognitive dissonance, that we have to move it aside and say, yes, we're being thrust into that time. Every discussion that we're having on the national stage and the world stage has some tangential connection to this authoritative globalist movement. So you have to think globalism and regionalization. You've heard about the EU, the European Union. We all know that the EU exists, and the England is still... Brexit, they're still trying to supposedly get out of it, but it's a very strong force. They're not out of it yet. They've been doing this for years. I wonder if they ever will leave the European Union. Did you know that there's something called the African Union, right? The continent of Africa. This is called regionalization, folks. You've got to look at this. When God destroyed Babel, the people scattered. But then you have, to, you have to follow the pattern of mankind. So there was a scattering in their own languages, people that looked like them. And then there was nationalism, which means that there, were, there was nation building. This is going to move, and we're seeing this towards, I'm just telling you, I'm explaining it to you. You can look it up when you, when you leave here. We're, going to move, we're moving from, the world is moving from nationalism to regionalization, regionalization to globalism. Do you see where we're going with this? Not us, but we as, a, as a, a human race. So you got the European Union, the African Union. I believe it has 54 countries involved in it. They're like, what's good for our continent? Makes sense. The EU is like, what's good for Europe? Makes sense. Did you, this is key. This actually only started in 2002. So for those that are teaching Revelation since 2002, I hope that nobody misses this. If you look it up, it's called the Asian Cooperation Dialogue. 
This is fascinating. This is so fascinating. So if you look at the, the map, okay, I don't know, 20 years ago or more, people did this. Even before Israel was a nation in 1948, they're like, well, how could that happen in the Bible? I don't know why people of faith ever doubt the scripture because we just catch up with it. History catches up with it. So if you look at the Euphrates, right, this is a map of the Middle East. It's not a Christian map. It's a secular map, right? The Tigris and the Euphrates, Iraq, Syria. Here's Israel over here. The continent of Africa, right? Europe and Asia. And you can divide this area into uh, the Near East, the Middle East, and the Far East, right? Little history lesson here. But if the Euphrates is dried up, and the kings of the east end up crossing to the Battle of Armageddon, which is right, right about here, what do we see? Well, in the Asian Cooperative Dialogue, there's about uh, 35 countries, and they're slowly signing on. And when I say the names of these countries, just go to your news sources and see what's going on. What are they thinking today? What are their goals? You have Iran as part of the Asian Cooperative Dialogue. You have Russia, that's also part of it. And you also have China. And all three of these countries are just east of the Euphrates. And if you look in the news, if you read your news, you read geopolitics, you see that those countries have an interest in crossing the Euphrates. Now, could they use planes? Of course they can. But when you're using heavy troop movement, it's so much easier if you can cross by land. Everything can't be done by plane. So, again, this was written 2,000 years ago. Um, China has become a dominant force on the world stage. They're in the, the news a lot as well. Now, when we talk about China, and this is important because I'm convinced that if you watch too much of the evening news... It sucks brain cells from our bodies because they're so ignorant. When I talk about nationalism, nation building, that's a thing. It's a fact. It's historical. When they talk about nationalism, they talk about white nationalism. There's no such thing. No, no country is homogeneous anymore in today's society. So nationalism comes from the word nation. So when we teach the Bible, we teach the truth. I don't care what they teach. Same thing with China. When you criticize China, you're not criticizing an ethnicity. You're criticizing the Communist Party of China. Did you know that China, right, as a nation, has 1.4 billion people? That's a huge population. Did you know that they're not all Chinese? Again, this is an ignorance in what we see on TV. There are 56 ethnicities in China. Isn't that incredible? China is actually very diverse. It's a large landmass, and it's got a lot of people on it. When we criticize China, when I criticize China, I am criticizing the Communist Party, and here's the reason. Because communism, at its heart, has no God. You cannot believe. They even t tell you what you can believe. Right? We've talked about big tech. Big tech is happy to censor the Chinese people because the Chinese government asks for it. That's what communism does. It keeps people in the dark. And again, there's no God. So you worship the state. And if you've never traveled or you're not a student of history, you say, that is so foreign to me being an American. But it's true.
China, I believe, is a huge part of this troop movement. Now, who does the Communist Party of China persecute? Let's go through the list. Asian, Tibetan monks. Free Tibet. You ever hear that? I've seen it on bumper stickers. They persecute these people. They persecute religions. They persecute um, anyone who has any doctrine that runs afoul of communism. The Muslim Uyghurs, look that one up. These men are rounded up and put into re-indoctrination camps and are sold and used as slave labor. Look it up. There's actually video of this. They also, the, the Communist Party of China persecutes ethnic Chinese Christians. Yes, there's a state church in China, but you don't talk about the resurrection and the return of Jesus The Communist Party tells these churches, the ones that are above ground, what to teach. I get periodicals from millions of Chinese Christians who are underground. They get baptized in rivers. Some of these rivers are ice cold. But they become believers. They have to sometimes do it secretly. You see where we're going with this? Now, all those awesome Chinese Christians, when the rapture comes, millions of them are going to be taken to heaven, along with us who believe in Jesus Christ. I wonder if on the way up we'll look around and go, oh, wow, wow, that, those, I've never seen these people before. We're going to be in heaven together. Hey, what do you think? I mean, it's going to happen quickly when the Lord does it. But when the Lord pulls his people off of the earth, right, because he doesn't want us to go through this, it's going to be chaos. And it's going to be run by godless people with an authoritarian hand. Okay. So, <clears throat> interesting, isn't it? Do you realize, map is still up, this is not some far-fetched idea. Did you realize that, that Russia, right, and Iran are in Syria? They're within 50 miles of striking Israel as we speak. A lot of discussions going on. Israelis are very nervous about that. Very nervous. Iran has called them the little Satan. They're anti-Semitic. And Russia, they're trying to... Russia's a a daunting force. So the Israelis, the leaders, as much as possible, are trying to make treaties with Russia because they're literally at their doorstep. Israel, when they feel people are getting too close to comfort, usually they check with the Russians, uh, and they strike in Syria, and they've struck uh, Iranian military. All this stuff's heating up, folks. Russia and China have been in joint war games together. China is a force to be reckoned with. They have planes. They have carriers. They are totally sold out for military expansion. Hong Kong, Taiwan, right? You've heard about them, although it's it's kind of been sanitized lately. There's a lot going on in the world that Americans don't know about. All it takes is a spark. What started... So in World War I and World War II, because I am a student of history, if you combine both what, bloody wars, trench warfare, mustard gassing, um, just concentration camps, when you put World War I and World War II together, 100 million people died between military and just innocent civilians who had their villages and towns overrun. 100 million bodies. That is breathtaking in a short amount of time. You know how it started? It started with an assassination in World War I. And there was already tensions with the nations. So 
the different powers said, well, I'm for, I'm against this assassination. And other parties were like, well, well, I want to protect the country where the assassin came from. That's how World War I started. World War I gave rise to both Stalin and Hitler for various reasons. I don't need to go into the details, but you can look it up. World War I, the Russians did not want to be in it anymore, and it created a Stalin. The sanctions in World War I with the German people created a Hitler. He would have probably never rose to power if it wasn't for the fear and the instability. And World War I, in effect, created World War II. So it doesn't take much to throw nations into a conflagration that can kill breathtaking amount of people. I know, I'm only on one verse. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why when we read the Bible, we have to read it for what it's worth. There was actually a book by a theologian. I think it was Carson who wrote that. Read the Bible for all it's worth. Because there's a lot of information in the scripture. And again, 100 years ago, people could read this and go, who are the kings of the East? We don't know who those people are. Before the 20th century and the realignment of the nations, for 1,900 years, people were like, all right, just next verse. Bible comes to life even more every decade that we read it and study it. It's powerful. So the Euphrates River is 1,740 miles long. And look at how it bisects the Near East from the Middle and the Far East. See that? 1,740 miles. That is a very long river. At its widest, widest portions, in certain times of the year, it's three quarters of a mile wide. That is a very wide river. You don't just, your troops, you don't just cross over it. That's a very wide portion of the river. So the fact that it's being um, dried up and it allows these things to happen, it just is more of a, you know, in the Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle, the Lord says that he will, he will draw, he will draw the, the evil nations with hooks, draw them into this. And we're going to talk about that. This, I believe, is a different battle from Ezekiel 38 and 39, but you can almost see the carrot of the Euphrates drying up to get these uh, countries to, make, to facilitate them engaging in this battle. So the three main battles, and, and we're going to move from this because uh, we're going to cover them a little bit more later, so I'm not going to go too much into detail. And none of them have taken place yet. The first one is the Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle. Now, when I've been talking to you about current events and the recent treaties with Israel, you see the nations lining up here. So there's a lot of detail, and uh, we've talked about the belligerence, and that's a term you use when two forces are coming together to fight, um, and how they're lined up. This is a battle of the nations. It's against Israel. The second battle is the battle of Armageddon. And I'm not putting the, mm, not really sure the order. Um, a lot of Bible scholars aren't sure of the order, but we're going to talk about this. In the battle of Armageddon, this is an armed invasion inspired by demonic forces as we see to get the world to come together in these armies to think it's a good idea to fight against the returning messiah as if they're going to win of course they're not and the third battle is the battle in revelation 20 which is after the millennium is over some people conflate two of the battles which i don't agree and, and we'll talk about when we get to that so verse 13 and 14 you've got these demonic powers that inspire the the world leaders to go to war. And Satan's desire is to always bring 
the nations together to go to war. And I call it the meat grinder of war because war is not pretty. You know, I, I deal with young soldiers and my heart breaks. They come back from these overseas battles, missing limbs. And if they're not missing body parts, they have PTSD. So war is a meat grinder. And, it, and here's the thing. You ever, you, ever get into, um, you ever get into an argument with somebody and now it's getting heated up? <laughs> Social media, right? And you, you actually say to yourself, maybe I should step back because where's this going? Okay, maybe you get into a fight with one of your friends or you don't talk to somebody who's a professional associate. But when nations do that, lives are lost. And that's the sad thing. When stupid leaders don't understand maybe we shouldn't go to war and it, it's an ego trip, lives are lost. So you see this on a macrocosmic scale. Adolf Hitler, in his delusion, he sent his sixth army to invade Russia. And he said, the sixth army is so powerful, it was well over a million soldiers, that they could storm the heavens. Well, when he said that, he just signed their death sentence. They should have turned on him and said, no, we're not going. So, and you see a lot of saber rattling today. Certain leaders, are, they brag about their armies. They brag about their firepower. And, you know, and again, let me just say this, that both parties do this. There's a discussion about foreign wars in our country. Republicans and Democrats, some of them make money off foreign wars, contracts and middle, military contracts. So we really have to ask ourselves, should we be in this war? Do we want it more than the people who were going to their land to fight that war? And this, this question comes up a lot when we send our men and women overseas, right? A little, little discussion on war here. Verse 14, the demons perform signs. Right? We're reading that. It says that these, these unclean spirits come out, these demons, they perform signs to seduce the world leaders into these battles. Mankind is bent on violence. And I got to say this too, is that sometimes, this is the danger of the signs and wonders movement, because you know the, the, uh, the new apostolic reformation, Bill Johnson and some of these, some weird stuff happening. I showed you a video uh, over a month ago, it was about four minutes long, and some of you were creeped out by it. People convulsing in a church. Like, we just stop talking, and, and people just get up, and they run around, and they, they're banging their head on the concrete, and they, they're just doing things that are bizarre. And I, I made the connection with the 60s and the 70s when some of these swamis came over in California and took these youth who were in their 20s and late teens who were lost, and they indoctrinated them into these cults. Remember, as a law enforcement agent, I also studied cults because cults behave in a way that are criminal for a lot of reasons. Um, and, and this stuff in the last maybe 20 or 30 years have, has made its way into the church. So signs and wonders, okay, God does miracles, but do we test the spirits to see if they are from God? To, get, to wave your hand and get somebody to fall and hit their head on the concrete and start convulsing. I'm not sure what the Holy Spirit is saying in something like that. What are you showing me? Right? The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, when he comes, he'll testify of me. If he's not testifying of Jesus and not doing the things that the Bible says, then it's probably not the Holy Spirit. That's why we're commanded to test the spirits. Don't just go along because we're, we live in such a hopeless society that we, we're looking for a sign. We're looking for a, a, a weeping painting or a statue that moves. And I mean, man, if I seen that, I'm like, that's weird. That is really weird because that's definitely not of God. 
So we have to have our, the scripture as our foundation, regardless of what I'm saying. You all have Bibles in front of you. And I've been corrected before. Flip through. Pastor Joe, you were off on this one verse. You said this when it was that. Okay, well, I'll correct myself from the pulpit. No problem. It's a good thing when you do that. Um, you know, years ago, before I retired from the police force, and I had been a pastor for a little while, when ISIS moved into the area and they were on the rise, a lot of the younger and even some that were about my age, they were asking, you know, what, what's going to happen? How's this going to affect us? And I went up to the dry erase board with a marker and by memory, I drew a map of the Middle East and I told them, well, this happened here and this country became this country. And this is why this country is invading over here. And they were like stunned. But the point that I was trying to make to them is because, because I knew the word, because I love the word, not because I'm bragging, is that I was showing them things that happened in the past, things we're dealing with in the present and stuff that was going to happen in the future. And it had a huge effect on them. And I still keep in touch with some of them. Um, and they, you know, they, they, they're not, so a lot of them are in church. So they kind of come to me with their questions, which is good. I want to be that in their lives, but it's so important today to know God's word. It's so important to know God's word because that is the key that unlocks everything. Now, again, I spoke about the angel of the waters, the guardian angels. Um, but there's also these demons and it says, now, remember, here's John. He's seen frogs. Maybe they look like 10-foot frogs. I don't know. But he's trying to describe these. God is showing him things of, about the future. And he's watching these, um, these things come out of the mouth of these leaders. He can see it, but I'm going to guess that the people in the future won't be able to see it. Um, if you've ever heard of people who write books and they talk about an out-of-body experience, right? what do they say? I felt like I kind of came out of my mouth and, and I was watching over and I saw myself lying in the, on the hospital table while everybody was working on me. In Genesis, he makes Adam and he breathes the breath of life into him. And he, and he gives Adam a life, life-giving spirit. You know, Jesus speaks about the eyes. We also see the mouth. So as somebody can be uh, filled with the Holy Spirit as believers um, or have the, the spirit of life, God gives us life. Uh, on the other side, those who are possessed can be possessed with demonic entities. We saw this when Jesus was on the earth. So John is doing his best. He did it in chapter 9. He spoke about these demonic creatures and they were like locusts. And in some ways they stung like scorpions and maybe because of their size, um, they were, he described them as horses. He just kept changing his descriptors because he's never seen this before. This is the underworld. God is giving him a glimpse. And remember the apostle Paul, when he goes to see the third heaven, he goes, these are things that are just, he's telling you that he can't explain what he saw in heaven. This is a whole world folks that when we die, this is where we're going to reside. This, this right here is not the real world. This is only temporary. So it's pretty, pretty powerful stuff when you look at it. So for those of you who like frogs, I like frogs too. But I suppose if I saw a 10-foot frog that almost stood up on two feet and was slimy and gross, I might be a little scared too. So don't be offended by the descriptors. John is doing the best he can to describe these things that are coming out of the mouth of these leaders that have pretty much taken over the world. But again, the people allowed it. 
Verse 15 is your, is your portion of hope here. He says, behold, Jesus says, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So you know what? Warning is love. If my son is five years old and I tell him don't touch the hot stove and I'm, I have a stern fatherly voice, it isn't because I'm angry with him. It's because I love him. I don't want him to get burned. I don't want him to have that experience. So Jesus sandwiches this in here because up until the end of this book, up until judgment, Jesus is trying to p- tell people, don't do this. Don't go along with this group. This is bad. It's demonic. It's not what you think it is. It's an illusion. It's deceptive. So, you know, it, it, you ever study, and, and again, I've studied a lot of wars, how many soldiers in World War II defected on the German side, on the Russian side, even on the, uh, the Allies? A lot of defections, uh, probably in, I should do a study on it, from what I've read, um, in, in the tens of thousands, if not 100,000 collectively, they defected. They said, I don't want to be a part of this, and they, they, they took off. Probably when the time was right, took their uniform off and ended up in a fishing or farming community. And it's like, I'm not a soldier. I'm not, I'm not getting involved in that. Let's talk about this. Jesus said he's concerned that, now this is a spiritual sense, there's spiritual garments versus spiritual nakedness. Spiritual nakedness is what? If we don't have Christ as a covering, it leaves us vulnerable, unprotected, and unprepared. In Galatians 3.27, it says, For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And again, this is so important. The Christian culture, anybody can be a part of the Christian culture, and they can do it for various reasons. But this is supposed to be a lifestyle when we put on Christ, not... When we were in the world, oh, the kind of the idea, the fanciful Jesus is interesting, but, you know, I'm still going to do what I want, and I'm still just going to call on him when I need him. We're, we're to put on Christ. The Apostle Paul uses this image of a garment, putting on a garment to cover your shame or your nakedness. If we can jump to Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, and he says it in a lot of different ways in the Scripture. Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul says, and he speaks about these things that are happening, that putting aside the past of licentiousness and uncleanness and greediness. Verse 20, he says, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him, meaning Jesus, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now, I remember sometimes, I may have a dream or remember a song comes on a radio that's an old song. I remember my past, my life. And when I became a Christian, God thankfully changed me. It's almost like I lived in two different worlds, two different lives. He says that it grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. A lot of symbolism, a lot of metaphors, very powerful when you dig deep into it. It isn't, uh, you know, uh, Jesus is a cracker. I'm going to have a cracker once in a while. It's good. He's saying, put on Jesus. This is a lifestyle. This is how we live. And in today's wacky society, we need him even more to navigate us through this world. Only the garment of Christ will save you. 
And if you're not in Christ right now, you're still vulnerable to judgment because of your sins. So here's the hope is that if by the end of the service you decide, you know what, I do want Jesus. I want to be protected. I want to know who God is. Yeah, and this was me. I was part of a religion or a denomination, and I didn't know the Lord. I had the accoutrements. I wore a, a crucifix, and I had symbolism in my life, but I never had Christ until until I chose to to follow him and make him a lifestyle. So in this portion of Scripture, this could be the defectors in in the troop movement, certainly would be applicable. Uh, This could be to those on the fence, you know, they haven't taken the mark of the beast and they're still not sure. They, you know, do I take this mark? And what about these Christians who are being persecuted? You know, and again, in China, the underground church, there's a lot of Chinese people who wonder why these Christians are not in established communist churches, why they're underground, why they go into the woods to, and they're curious about that. And they become believers because it's the real thing. It isn't a fake showing for the rest of the nations to say, see, we're not oppressive. It also could be for those who have rejected the mark of the beast, but they're scared. They haven't fully committed themselves anywhere yet. They just don't know what to do. And folks in our country, there's a lot of scared people. They don't know what to do. They don't know if the Republicans are right or the Democrats are right. They don't know if the Christians are right or the secularists. Are, they don't know, but they start to seek. So Jesus puts this out there. Matthew 24 and 1 Thessalonians 5, Jesus explains coming as a thief. Now, if you don't know the scripture well and you're not familiar with his metaphors and his parables, you might say, well, he's the son of God. He is all good. Why would he condone uh, stealing and burglary, right? Because he comes to the house and, and people get the wrong understanding. What he meant was, and this metaphor is, he comes as a thief. I don't know if any of you, you don't have to raise your hand, have had your houses broken into. But the thief doesn't send you an email or a text and says, I'll be there in 20 minutes. Put your valuables out. I got a knapsack, maybe put him in a pillowcase, and when I come in, just hand it to me, and then I'm going to go and I'm going to leave. I handled burglaries for 25 burglaries for 25 years. That's never happened. So what thieves do is they catch you unaware. If they're cat burglars, you know, if they're, you, some of them get a thrill out of stealing stuff in your home when you're sleeping. Others prefer that nobody's home, but you, you, come in and you see, oh, the door's been kicked in. You call the police. Oh, my goodness. The bedrooms, I can't tell you how many reports I've taken, is ransacked. The thief gives no warning to do nefarious things. Jesus doesn't give a warning to do good things. And here's the reason. If Jesus said, I'm going to come and please, don't make a doctrine out of this because this is just an example. If Jesus says, I'm going to come January 1st, of 2021, so everybody be ready. What do you think would happen? There'd be a lot of pretentious people pretending to be holy. Jesus is saying, if your heart is right and you're for me, that when I come, you won't be caught off guard. You see what I'm saying? So he says he's going to come as a thief. And that's, listen, when he comes in the rapture and he, and he removes the church before things get really bad, are we in the Christian culture, folks, or are we living the lifestyle of what it means truly to be a Christian. Jesus says, if you love me in John 14, you'll follow my word. Now, for the important question, I like to ask the question before it's asked of me. Why would God allow the gathering for this carnage? There's two two principles in the Bible. One is 
that God wants to spare us from our own self-dysfunction. He did that with me some 20-something years ago. You know, I had all these ideas of what it meant to be a Christian. Some of them were weird ideas. Some of them I saw a bad example. So I was a little hesitant. But God wants to spare us from our own self-dysfunction and self-destructiveness. And even if you say, you know, I got a good life. I got a good job. I got money in the bank. I'm a moral person. I obey the law, right? You still are a sinner. And you don't understand how the sin deceives your mind. And even if it's extreme self-centeredness, everything we do in life is, is selfish. We don't have the Lord. We're not covered. We're spiritually naked. So number one, God wants to spare us. The second principle is, however, he will also allow us to have our own way and see the consequences of them. That's tragic. When you see in the scripture and you see in the world that God so tries, and I, I think I might have had 10, 12 people over the years that when I was young tried to witness to me and I still was caught up in my own self-destructive ways. Eventually I got here. But I could have still in my free will said, no, 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 no. And God could have let me have what I wanted, which was dysfunction. So you see it in the children of Israel. God gave good prophets, good kings. And then the people, even Josiah, who I named my son after, King Josiah. A lot of the people in Judah at the time in the southern kingdom in Jerusalem went along with Josiah because he was the king, right? And you had all total control back then. They tore down the altars. They tore down the paganism. They cleaned out the temple. All good stuff. Some people did it because it was in their hearts. Some people did it as a show or a pretense. As soon as Josiah died, many of the people took those altars and put them back up again. They went back into paganism. You know, I'm looking at our country, and I kind of see us on the precipice in our country. There's a lot of good that happens here, and there's a lot of wickedness. And, And people are making decisions every day of which way to go. And I feel sad that if if God eventually allows to happen to us what happened to Israel, we're going to be in a lot of trouble in American culture. And then things are going to take a turn for the worse. And then we're going to say, wow, I should have prayed more. The church should have prayed more. I should have reached out to people more. Because God can allow, as a nation, us to go off that cliff too. And in some indicators, we're moving in that direction. Now, on a personal level, if you ever do a study of, in, in Numbers, Balaam, He was a prophet, and God spoke to him. And he kept saying to Balaam, basically, I'm paraphrasing, you got to stop. You're going the wrong way. But Balaam, he loved the money. He loved the power. He loved to be in the presence of Balak, the king. And he would listen to God, but then he'd go back. And he'd listen, then he'd go back. Eventually, Balaam went so far that God let him go. And he died in that dysfunction. Very interesting stuff here. And I just have to ask you today, if you've come into this building, are you in Christ? Do an honest assessment. Look in the mirror. Do I have the garment of Christ or I just dabble in the things of Christ? Do I not know Christ at all? We'll give you an opportunity to know him. Last few verses. 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl or vial or flask into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nation fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God 
to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men. Every hailstone about the weight of a talent, which is about 80 pounds. It's a pretty, pretty big hailstone. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. So the second part is the last bowl judgment, which is the seventh bowl judgment. And again, the last of the 21 judgments. The way I look at this, the bowl judgments, is, is a, all right, follow me. Here, my metaphor is a movie trailer. You ever, there's a two-hour movie, you want to see it, you heard about it, and you go online and you look at the two-minute and 34-second movie trailer, and you're like, that looks like a great movie. This is sort of the trailer to things that are coming. It gives you a synopsis, it give, it's concise, and, and I've said this about the book of Revelation, it's microcosmic and it's macrocosmic. In some areas, it gives you generalization or it tips you off to things to come, which I believe that this is. And in other areas, which we're going to get in the next few chapters, it gives you details. It gives you absolute details of how things are going to work themselves out. That's going to be fascinating. The next few chapters, blow your doors off because you'll read the newspaper, you'll see what's going on, and you'll say, wow, that infrastructure is already being laid today. The final judgment against the Antichrist world system is, now remember, this is a, a global empire, which is coming. Not hard to believe. It's going to have a religious or a spiritual aspect to it, of course, a false religion. It's going to have a political aspect. It's going to have an economic aspect and also a military aspect. Again, this is a global movement. When we look at these earthquakes... And, and I'm going to make the connections. I'm just touching on this. Zechariah 14.4, when the Lord returns and touches down on the Mount of Olives, you're going to see a lot of splitting going on. Mountain splitting, movements, uh, topography, um, geological, etc. So we'll talk about that. Uh, verse 17, the seventh bowl is poured out into the air. Ephesians 2.2, 2, we're told that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. So whether it's the microphone issue or we've had problems, Brian is probably going to be laughing up there with the, our live stream. It's like the power of the air. Sometimes there's these glitches when we're trying to do the sermons and have people see it from home. And uh, we don't know what the problem is. We've had experts come in. So maybe Satan's trying to jam the signal. I don't know. But the seventh bowl is poured out into the air. And um, if Satan is the prince of the power of the air, it could be like God's bug spray sort of like raid for demons. He puts it in the air, it does what it needs to do, and it strikes at the heart of this world system poised against God. Verse 19 appears to be a precursor to Babylon being destroyed, again, which we'll see take place in the next two chapters. Um, Hebrews 12.26, with all this earthquakes and splittings, uh, Hebrews 12.26 in the New Testament tells us that God will once again shake the earth. And we've seen in the 2,000 years since it's been written, some earth some earthquakes. Chile had a really big one years ago, but this is going to be something of uh, biblical proportions. We'll see that. Jerusalem is, now remember, the Antichrist, or what I, I call him the charismatic, articulate, well-spoken, well-loved globalist. That's the Antichrist, probably alive today. He's going to set up his headquarters after all his charm, and he deceives the nation, then his evil is going to be revealed. Okay? 
Uh, he's going to have, and, and if you look at any conqueror, if you look at Alexander the Great, if you look at any of these conquerors, good and bad, they had multiple headquarters. So the Antichrist will uh, deceive the Israelis into thinking he's for them. He'll have a peace treaty. And then when he turns on them, he will use Jerusalem as a partial headquarters. Because remember, the image has to be set up. The image of the beast, we cover this, in the Holy of Holies, in the temple of this new rebuilt uh, temple. So his image or his representation, so that people could worship it. In essence, they're worshiping him. Uh, also, I believe that Babylon will be another uh, headquarters. We're going to talk about that. But God is going to strike every political power base, every false religion, every ungodly institution. And quite frankly, it can't happen fast enough. The hailstones are going to be weighing some 80 to 100 pounds. Uh, the earthquake is going to be greater than anything in history and Here's my, my, my closing, is that, is that again, you look at, you look at the United States because we live here. Um, you see it in Europe. You see it in other countries. People have differences of opinion, and that's fine. And everyone in their different camps of differences of opinions, liberal, conservative, progressive, um, libertarian, they all have their idea of how they want to see their country. This, is, this goes for everyone in any country, how they want to see it play out how they want to see foreign policy, how they want to see domestic policy, economic policy, all these different policies. And they'll be happy if their person gets in and does these things. They'll be unhappy if the person doesn't. So we as Christians should be engaged in what we think is right and what we think is wrong. But at the same time, we have to look above what's going on right now because God has already written the end of the story, folks. And when you read the Bible, you know what the last chapter looks like. So do I get tweaked sometimes? Do I have strong opinions? Sure, I do. But at the end of the day, this is what drives me. Um, I can tell you recently, and, and God has just put people in my path that I didn't expect to be talking to them about the Lord, but I have to be ready. And you can disagree with your friends. You can have different of opinions. But here's what should tie us together is Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins. That we want to see our loved ones saved as well. Right? This is a lesson in any age. When the Lord comes back as a thief, now the context of what he was saying here in Revelation are for those that are left on the earth a future time um, in the seven-year tribulation. But Jesus also spoke about parables about today. And as Christians, we have to be ready. And he, he gives a parable about different servants. Some were lazy, some were disobedient. When the master came back to the house, he found they weren't doing what they were supposed to. And others were keeping the house tidy, were keeping the Lord's um, uh, financial things in order. They weren't misbehaving. They weren't getting drunk. They weren't destroying this place. That's a picture of, of, of believers who were sold out for Christ. So if the Lord came back tomorrow morning... Where our heart would be probably would determine whether we are with him or not. If we have made the Lord a lifestyle, then you're going to be taken out of this place. But some of your loved ones are going to be left behind. And we need to lay those seeds. We need to love them. We need to prepare them. Um, and, and that's what it's all about, folks. So it's going to get worse. But after that's end, that ends, and when I get to that part... The hope and, and the excitement and the goodness and 
never seeing war again in the millennial kingdom, wow, that's going to blow our doors off. So we look forward to that. But until then, we need to do the Lord's will. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.